harbor any anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are we're dust. The life of mortal is, in, is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from the everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is those who fear Him, and His righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. Father, bless us in this study time. Thank You for blessing us through our worship. Thank You for hearing our prayers. Thank You for bringing us to this place safely. It's our prayer, Father, that we leave this place brighter as light, stronger in our convictions, more loving in our heart, more profound in our thinking, and that going out into this community during this week, Father, that You will open doors before us and with a courage that comes to us, Father, from the fact that Your Spirit dwells in us, that we will go through those doors and answer the call to whatever ministry You have set before us. We pray, Father, that You will continually have patience with us and conform us more each day into the likeness of Jesus. And we pray this in His name. Amen. Last uh, Wednesday night in our uh, Bible classes, we looked at how the prayer life, and we're looking specifically at Luke chapter 11, how the prayer life of Jesus was striking to His disciples. And what we discovered is that the big difference as they observed Him in His prayer life that was different from the kinds of prayer that they themselves participated in was, this, was the idea that Jesus was praying literally to His Father. And tonight, I, I want to expand on that a little bit from Psalm 103. I want us to look at this verse, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. The truth of Psalm 103, and especially verse 13, is that the Lord is a father to you. The Lord is a father to you. That's one of the most important teachings in the Bible for human beings. It's found over in the New Testament in a very profound way in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Paul writes, When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Circle that word. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Now when you read the Bible from time to time, there are all kinds of questions that come up. And especially as we have conversations with people in the community, questions like, why did Jesus come? Why was Jesus born? Why did He live? Why did Jesus have to die? 
And the short answer to that is so that we could become the sons of God and He could become our Father. God just doesn't merely save us, but saves us unto Himself so that we can call Him Father. Now that statement should never become commonplace for us. It should never become cliche. It should never become uh, something that just rolls off of our lips without striking some kind of a chord in our heart. It should always fill us with wonderment just at the mentioning of it. In many ways, it should the fact that we can pray to God as a Father should be electrifying for us to know that through Jesus we are the children of God. And the question is, is it really? Does it really fill our hearts with wonderment? And are we bedazzled by the, the, by the, the idea that the Creator of the entire universe, the supreme value of the universe, is our Father. I think in, in Psalm 103, there are five things that are worth noting that help us to understand what this concept of God as Father, what it really means. Number one, it means that we live in a covenant with Him. Now, that doesn't really do a whole lot for us. We speak a covenant. It really doesn't do a whole lot for us, but it is one of the words in the text. Look at verse 18. With those who keep His covenant and remember to obey his precepts now one of the things that you hear a lot these days is that everyone is a son of god and the question is is that true is every human being a son or a daughter of god well the short answer is yes and no but mainly no <laughs> there are two ways that you can define father as you know one is that you find the literal source of your physical life in part from your father and so we can speak of all humans as being sons or children of God by creation. You remember over in Acts 17, Paul is preaching to, to the Greeks in Athens and to these unbelievers, these people that, are, uh, that do not identify Jesus, do not identify uh, God the Father in heaven as we do. He says to them in verse 29 of Acts 17, Therefore, since we are God's offspring. But as you know, there's more to being a father than just biology. A young man says, you know, you were never a father to me. And the dad says, but you know what? You're my flesh and you're my blood. And the young man responds, but you never loved me. You were never there for me. I could never count on you. You were never there. Now, maybe you've heard that kind of exchange in other relationships or maybe you've even experienced it in your, in your own. But whatever the case, it's extremely sad. It's very sad to us and it's sad for a reason. We know that the second definition of fatherhood to be more profound than the first. Fatherhood describes the kind of relationship with children that is marked by a certain kind of profound love and an abiding relationship. There is presence and there is emotion and there is sustenance and there is providence. And while the Bible speaks of human beings as the offsprings of God in one or two places, the overwhelming majority of the way the Bible speaks about sonship is in that second way. You are a son by salvation if you have entered into this covenantal relationship with Him. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John at the very beginning, as he's laying out his whole gospel to anyone who would read it, he said, yet to all who received Him, that is, received Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Only when you enter into a certain kind of relationship with God does He become your Father and you become His Son. And you will never have the enormous benefits of being a son of God until you enter into that kind of relationship with Him, a covenantal relationship with Him. You have to be, verse 18 of Psalm 103, you have to be in covenant. The truth is, He is not covenantal Father to everybody. 
So while we live in covenant with Him, number two, we also live with Him by His grace. We live in grace with Him. Again, look at Psalm 103, this time verse 10 and then verse 12. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from Him. Now, we are sinners, and and we do iniquity, and we have transgressions, and there are moments when there are acts of rebellion that overspill into our, our life. Acts of rebellion against His will. And in verse 14, he says we are dust, which means that in in, in a lot of ways we're weak, uh, pathetic. And yet because God is a Father, even though we're sinners and transgressors and we do iniquity and we're dust, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him. And His righteousness with their children's children. And with those who keep covenant and remember to obey His precepts. What this means is that God loves you in spite of your flaws and your sins and your shortcomings and your rebellion because you are His Son. Now this is a a fundamental thing, church. When you relate, think about your, your employment. You relate to a boss, it might be a cordial relationship that stays positive as long as you're performing. I mean... As long as you're performing, everything is great. As long as the money's rolling in, it's great. As long as you're following the rules and showing up on time and doing the job and performing and and achieving and you're producing, then everything is great. But if you do not perform and you fail and you fail again and you lose the company money, then the relationship is over. What is that Donald Trump famous for saying? You're fired. Why? Because you have to perform. You have to achieve. You have to perform. But with a father, it's different. What happens to a father whose son or daughter begins to derail in life? You have your eyes on that kiddo, and now all of a sudden you begin to see that that kid's life is beginning to derail, get off the track. It's beginning to go down a different path. It's beginning to head towards a destructive ending. The relationship intensifies, does it not? The father has his eyes on that child even more so. I mean, that relationship intensifies. That father begins to see that son going off the rails. He has his eyes on that kiddo even more than he did before. That father's heart is more engaged because of love. Which means everything. Now, there are two ways to to relate to God. You can relate to God as a boss... And if you do, then you're always going to feel instability in the relationship because it's going to be based on performance. And what are we? We are dust and we are weak. And if we do well, it's okay. But because I'm dust, when I mess up, which is what all of us to do, then I'm not okay and I have to work extra hard to make it up. But God, this psalm tells us, is a father who is in covenantal relationship through grace with his children. Which means that his, He does not just love you, but His love is on you from everlasting to everlasting. Which is absolutely amazing when you think about it in light of the kind of world that we live in. And when Jesus was asked how we should pray to God, He responded, You open your mouth and you say the words, Our Father, which art in heaven. Every, every thought that you have about God, every, everything about God is filtered through that truth. He's a father. 
Think about the President of the United States. I mean, have you ever thought about what it takes to get in to see him? You have to have the right connections. You have to have some, some power. You have to have influence to the ninth degree. And then, you know, you have to probably be a, a tremendously wealthy donor. And then even with all of those things that you've got going for you, you have to wait for an appointment unless you are the President's child. And then and only then, you have access to your father who is the president. He is the president. He is the president to everyone else but to you. To you, he is dad. And children experience everything he is through the fact that he is their dad. Anyone who tries to, to run up and crawl under the president's desk or to grab the president's leg is going to be shot on the spot but not the sons and not the daughters. And you imagine the First Lady waking the President up you know, at 3 a.m. in the morning, asking him to get up and to get a glass of water. What's he going to say? Ha, get it yourself. Maybe. But what if his kid wakes up crying from a nightmare or needs a glass of water or is calling out for Dad? No one gets the attention of the President like the kids. And Jesus has the audacity to say that that's the way that we relate to God and God relates to us. Infinite holiness and infinite power with open arms to embrace us. His love is not just for you, but on you from everlasting to everlasting. And then number three, we can live in confidence when bad things happen. Psalm 103 has three amazing verses. Verses 8, 9, and 10. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Even though God is your Father, He still gets angry with you, with me from time to time. And He gets angry because He loves us. When when your kiddo lies to you, do you just laugh it off? I mean, not if you're a wise father, not if you're a wise mother. You don't make light of it. The kid is lying. It's a very ugly, ugly thing. You get very angry. Why? Because you don't want your kid to grow up to be a liar with all of the consequences and with all the trouble that lying can bring into life, into jobs, and especially into relationships. And when that kid, and you begin to notice it, that kid begins to lie, that kid is under a threat. And the father wants to do something about it. At least the best kinds of fathers want to do something about it. And in this passage, look carefully. It says that God gets angry, but He does not repay us according to our iniquities. Let me say that again. That God gets angry, but He does not repay us according to our iniquities, nor does He harbor His anger forever. What? Because we are fallen human beings, there are times as parents that we get angry at our kids for our sake. They do something that upsets us, so we punish them, but it's more for us than it is for them. They ruined our day, and so we're going to ruin theirs. But this psalm says that God never does that. God never does that. The eternal punishment that we deserve for our sins has fallen into the heart of someone else. And when bad things happen as consequences for our iniquities, it is out of love and not retribution. It's never payback. He is working all things for good. John Newton uh, 
most of us know him as uh, the, the writer of a lot of great hymns, but he was a great preacher and a great minister for a church in England. Uh, a couple of centuries back, he was a slave trader that was converted to Christianity and became a minister, wrote a tremendous amount of, of, of great things that are, are great for our hearts and minds in deepening us in God's Word. But he wrote to a woman one time a letter who was suffering. She, the, the woman was, was suffering incredibly and profoundly. And one of the things that Newton wrote to her as her minister was that everything is necessary that God sends and nothing can be necessary that He withholds. The truth is that God is your Father. And the bad things are happening to you not because He is abusive with you, but there are times when it comes to benefit you. And what kind of confidence would you live with if you knew that God could turn every bad thing that happens to you into something that benefits you? I mean, think about that for a minute. When your, when your earthly father punished you and, he, and even spanked you, did you ever think that it was because he hated you or was abandoning, abandoning you or disowning you or, or that he was rejecting you? I mean, I got a lot of spankings, if you can believe that. But I never thought that. Even seconds after he spanked me, I wanted as a five-year-old or a six-year-old or an eight-year-old to run back into his arms. And because that's true, we can live in confidence even when the bad things take place in our life. Number four, we live in intimacy with him. He's our father, but it's not a far-off relationship. It's, a, it's not aloof. It's not isolated We're not on an island and He on His. We live in intimacy with God. Verse 13, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. That word compassion in the Hebrew that you find in verse 13 is a very emotional word. It talks about a deep emotional connection. Now with my my own children, the two of them, the boy and the girl, Jordan and Jessica, there was a lot of emotional intimacy that was forged when they were little. There was all of the rocking them in my lap and carrying them on my shoulders, playing with them in the park, wrestling with them on the floor. All of that built that emotional intimacy. Jordan's uh, 23, I'm 53. You can ask Ellen. We're still building that emotional intimacy by wrestling in the house. And now that they're older, the emotional intimacy is still there. They want to talk to me, I want to talk to them. They want to talk to their mother, their mother wants to talk to them. And we want to hear about what's going on in their lives. We we call each other during the day. And it's one of the great blessings of life. And that's the kind of thing that happens in our relationship with God. In in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, you know, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received a spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, I don't know how that works, but one of the reasons that God puts His Spirit inside of you is to help you to go grow more intimate and, and, and profound in your understanding of what it means for God to be your Father. That Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're the children of God. The word Abba is, is not Hebrew, it's Aramaic. It's an Aramaic word that a child would use for for his father. It's not irreverent, but it's intimate. And God gives you his spirit to help you pour out your heart to him and to know that an intimate relationship exists even when you're troubled and you find yourself in that dark spot. And the truth of the matter is, verse 14, he knows how we are formed. 
and he remembers that we are dust. You know, we do such a, a, a good time. There was, there was a time in my life when um, I thought that as, as, a, as a man, you could, you could never admit that you were wrong. I mean, was I unique in that? Never admit you were wrong, because if you admitted that you were wrong, then you made a mistake, and if you made a mistake, then you were weak, and you had to hide that weakness, because my definition, the working definition of leadership at that point, and what it meant to, to lead and, 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 and to have influence was you could never make a mistake, you could sh- never show weakness. As hard as it is for us at times to, to, to let that weakness out, and as we grow in wisdom and as we get older in life, those of us that you know, in our younger days wanted to be strong and we wanted to be those young turds and never show that weakness, and we begin to see that that weakness, showing that weakness is a part of the influence that you have in people's life and, and, and ability to share wisdom with them, you also begin to understand that as much as you might hide it from everybody else, God knows that you're weak. God knows about your moments of weakness and He understands it. And God puts His Spirit in us as an invitation from God to open up to Him. It is His Spirit that is trying to get us to say to Him, Abba, Father. God, through that Spirit, is confirming to you, through that Spirit, that this intimacy is something that you experience. If it's not something that you experience, then why use the word Abba? It's not mechanical. There is a sense, in, an experiential sense of intimacy that you have through His Spirit in saying to God, Abba, Father. You know, when a, when a dad is, is walking down the street with his daughter, you know, this little six-year-old girl, you know, they're holding hands and they're talking and they're, you know, she's skipping along and they're talking about life. And then all of a sudden, he picks her up and he hugs her while they're walking and he says, I love you so much. And she hugs her dad back and says, I love you too, Daddy. Here's the question to ponder. Was she more of a daughter to her dad before or after the hug than she was during the hug? Not at all. I mean, she's 100% daughter before, during, and after the hug. But here's the difference. The experience of being a daughter was different, wasn't it? You know you're a daughter. You're holding hands with your dad. You're walking down the street and then all of a sudden He picks you up and holds you. You know you're a daughter, but the experience of it is different. When He holds you and He says, I love you. I love you more than my own life. The experience is different. And the Spirit of God is put inside of us to experience what we know to be a fact of our coming to God in covenantal relationship. To come into relationship with God, it's a covenant. And when we come into that covenant, we experience it. It's not just the head. It's not just thinking. It's not just cognitive, rational exercise. It's not just agreement. It's not just consent. What it is, is is that plus the experience. The Spirit of God is put inside of us to experience what we know to be a fact of our coming to God in covenantal relationship. And I have to ask you, do you have a prayer life like that? Do you have a prayer life like that that begins with our Father who art in heaven? And then lastly, we live in gratitude. We know, we all have working definitions of grace. 
And because of, of how that definition, what we know to be true, the reality of the fact that we are in relationship with God because it's His gift. And we have that, that definition of, of grace that, that is working through our life. We live in gratitude because we know that we're not getting what we deserve. He does not repay us as our iniquities deserve. And what is it, quite frankly, that we deserve? Verses 15 and 16, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. Every time I read that, I'm reminded that that's not what we were meant to be. That's not what we were meant for. We were supposed to last. I was really blessed uh, by Brad Roach's uh, class this morning talking about what it meant to be made in the image of God. We are supposed to last. We, we're made in the image of God. We're not supposed to be forgotten. You don't look at, at, at something that is created and, and say, not only is it good, but it's very good, as God does when He looks upon His human creatures. We, we're not supposed to be forgotten. But because of sin, we were cast out of the garden and we pass like the grass of the field. And yet the point of this psalm is that God is our Father. God is our Father because we do get, or excuse me, because we do not get what we deserve. And why do we not get what we deserve? Well, the only place in the Gospels where, where Jesus does not pray to God as Father is while He's hanging on the cross and He cries out the beginning words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? At that point, Jesus lost Father so that we could be blessed by it. He was forgotten and forsaken so that we would be remembered from everlasting to everlasting. All of our sins fell into His heart. And this is why we say, when we behold the love of God as Father, praise the Lord. O oh, my soul, all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. You know what David is doing there? David is talking to himself. We all have self-talk. And David is, this is David's self-talk. He, he is talking to himself and he is saying, look at how God is blessing me. Look at what God is for me. Look at what God is doing for me. Look at what God is, is, is blessing me with. Look at how God is relating to me. Look at how God is pouring benefits into my life. Look how God is growing me up. Look how God is gracing my life. He is saying throughout this psalm, He is saying to Himself all of these things that God is blessing Him with that wells up in the first two verses as praise the Lord for all His benefits. For all the things that He has done. And it comes to us through His Son who died on the cross to save us from our sins and not just to, to, to pour out forgiveness on us, but to, for us to be saved unto God, into relationship with Him as Father and children, children and Creator, Father. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. If there are ways that our church can minister to you, maybe it's time tonight for you to, to come out of just a mere relationship of, of God as your Father through creation 
and for Him to become most profoundly and most deeply your Father through salvation, of, of believing in Jesus and having your sins washed away and, and repenting of the life that you li- lived that was in rebellion and not obeying those precepts and not caring that He was your Father because you were going to be the Lord and the King of your own life. And having repented of that and your sins being washed away in baptism and His Spirit coming into your life and His love overwhelming you, you become His child. And begin to experience what it means to say to the Creator of the universe, Abba, Father. If that describes you tonight, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front that stand and sing.